Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Shalom, shalom. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I am your host, Joe Amon, coming to you all the way from southwest Louisiana. And uh, man, hey, how is it going? Golly, it has actually been a few weeks if you follow the the, uh, the show. It's been a few weeks since we've been with you guys. Um, and uh, again, I have to apologize. It seems like I've been doing a good bit of that the last few episodes. Um, but I'm so glad to be back and uh, hopefully... Uh, you guys are still tuning in, guys and gals, ladies and gentlemen, are, are still tuning in and haven't lost faith in us. We, um, we've been hit really, really hard here in southwest Louisiana. Uh, most of you will know first Hurricane Laura, and I just have to say again, thank you for everybody um, you know, reaching out and sending support and donations and encouraging words and prayers and all of those things, of course. Uh, and uh, Hurricane Laura was pretty rough. It, um, it devastated our area. Uh, you know, pretty heavily, uh, all the way, you know, south of us to the coast and then up where we are. Uh, it, it was, it was pretty damaging. And so we got through that and we were feeling good and everybody had kind of put their generators away and, and, uh, or some people sold their generators and stuff. And then, uh, not about six weeks later, uh, Hurricane Delta came through and, uh, just absolutely walloped us again. Uh, and so Hurricane Delta was not, uh, as strong as Laura, but brought a lot more rain. Uh, and Hurricane Laura had kind of loosened everything up, and uh, you know whatever didn't whatever Hurricane Laura did not knock over, uh, Hurricane Delta made sure to finish. And so we, it's just been really trying time here. Uh, it's been really tough. We still have areas that are uh, you know struggling with power and stuff south of us, uh, power and water, and uh, just you know in the midst of rebuilding and in, in the in the you know just the the first parts of rebuilding to have another storm come in. And just undo everything you you've done uh, is really a place of despair for a lot of folks, and uh, so it it has been very challenging. Uh, and so I please forgive me and thank you for for the grace and the patience as we work through all this stuff. And uh, I intended to try to record last week, and uh, things just went upended. We have personally we have three roofs to replace around our place, our farm and stuff. Uh, lost a big shop and born and stuff. So it's, there's a lot of work to be done, but uh, we we will get it. And cooler temperatures are among us, and so that makes everything the effort a little bit easier, of course. And uh, knowing that we have so many of you that are praying for us and uh, you know encouraging us along the way, it just it helps so. So, so very much. So uh, I, uh, I trust and pray that you had a wonderful Sukkot uh, and really uh, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Teruah, Yom Kippur and Sukkot. I pray that your Sukkot was just amazing. Um, we, um, 
had a wonderful gathering uh, here for our local family. And uh, again, Hurricane Delta kind of blew in halfway through the week. So uh, it cut our, our you know, fellowship uh, you know, short. But we, we still had a wonderful time the, the few days that we did get. And, uh, we're, hey, we're just looking forward to next year even more. And, uh, and praying that next year will be a, a, a fuller, uh, you know, more, we'll be able to celebrate it in fullness next year. So uh, it's, been, it's been really trying, but it's been really good, too. Uh, the Father is showing us a lot of stuff, and, uh, and a lot of good, good is being done. So, again, thank you guys so very, very much. And I'll quit waffling on about that. Uh, so now we're kind of in a, a, a little lull as far as the calendar goes. We're, uh, we're you know, we're enjoying the, the new beginning after Sukkot and uh, the new Parsha cycle and, and all these things. And for those of you that celebrate Hanukkah, we're looking forward to uh, to Hanukkah and, of course, to Pesach, uh, which, which oddly enough, will be here before you know it. <laughs> it will be here. It will be here like tomorrow. You know, we'll we'll wake up and go, oh my goodness, it's you know, it's the it's two weeks before Pesach, and uh, so we we begin preparing kind of our minds and our hearts already uh, for Pesach. So I hope you guys are all doing well. And uh, today we are. Uh, going to start to get into the Gospels. We're going to do an, an overview of the Gospels today and uh, kind of get a, a flyover view of how we're going to approach the Gospels. And uh, we're going to be using Matthew generally uh, for our uh, our walk through the Gospels. And the next few weeks, uh, the next several weeks actually, Kyle will be joining me. Uh, and uh, I know you guys enjoy listening to him because he's just so knowledgeable. And he's got such a neat way of thinking about things. So be looking forward to that. We also have a couple of interviews that I'm trying to line up from some really, really, some people that I just really admire and respect a whole lot that I want you to hear from that you may or may not know about. And uh, so that's coming up. So some good things are, are coming up. Uh, just again, thank you for being patient as we kind of work out some of these, these issues and details and, and all these kinds of things. Um, we do have, uh, again, our, our regular Shabbat services that are live streamed every Shabbat at 10 a.m. Central. So if you are looking for fellowship or if you, uh, you know, have fellowship at a different time and you're, you're just looking for some more community on Shabbat, we'd love to have you join us. We live stream to our website, which is, uh, outofashesministries.org. Uh, we also simulcast to Facebook where you can jump in the comments and say hey, and to YouTube as well. Uh, and so we, you know, we're all those places. And so if you would like to join us for Shabbat, I would love to have you uh, peek in and say hey, tell us where you're from. Uh, it's a huge, huge encouragement for for us. Also, if you're if you enjoy these uh, Image Bearers Radio, the IBR uh, shows. Just please know that I'm updating the archive over on Hebrew Nation Radio, and uh, also uh, that will go to iTunes as well. So share these out and let people know about them if you're getting something out of them. I would really appreciate it, and that would really, really be helpful. So before we jump into our gospel overview, let's go to the Father in prayer. Avinu Shabbat Shemayim, our Father in heaven. We are so humbly grateful that we get to come together over this platform and discuss your word and discuss your Messiah. And Father, we pray that as we discuss the Gospels, the, the Evangelion, that you would reveal to us in a deeper way who Messiah is, that we may represent him and you better.
All right. So for some of you, this is a period you've been waiting for. For others of you, you still maybe would like to spend some time in the Tanakh. But uh, we are going to be going back and, and covering some things in Tanakh, again, with some guests that I have. And then uh, just some interesting things that maybe Kyle wants to pull out or that, that we'll, we'll discuss uh, you know, at, at a later date. Uh, but for now, we are going to jump into the Gospels. I'm going to spend the next probably couple of months in the Gospels. And so before we do that, I want to kind of set a foundation and kind of go back a few weeks, probably months by now, to be honest with you, with how our schedule's been. Um, and we want to talk about the word gospel. So the word gospel, when you hear that word or when, you, when someone says that word or you think of that word, I want you to think about what, what word picture um, pops into your head. What, what context is, is in your mind when you think of gospel? Uh, think about how the gospel, the word gospel, and what gospel means was defined to you. Uh, maybe growing up in church or even as an adult. Um, how is the word gospel talked about and what does that mean for you? Uh, what does that mean in the religious circles that you've been a part of? How has that changed over the years or has it changed? Have you even thought about it much? Um, and, you know, in learning Torah and, and in, in learning Hebrew, maybe, and different things, how, how have you thought about gospel differently? And, and what does that mean? What does that look like for you? Because I think those are all really interesting questions. Um, we will carry, just like we did all the way back in Genesis, you're going to hear me refer back to Genesis a lot in, in this episode and in the coming episodes, because the, 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 the gospel's beginning in Matthew, the gospel accounts beginning in Matthew, um, really are, are a, uh, they're a new Bereshit. They're a new beginning in so many ways, not just textually from the Bible standpoint, but it, even, even conceptually and thematically, the way we think about um, the, the gospel of Yeshua. And, and, all, and it's going to tie back in really, really heavily to, uh, to Genesis. So we're going to be talking a lot about that. I'm going to be referring back to that. So if, if it's helpful for you, maybe go back to the first couple of episodes of IBR and listen to those Genesis 1, 2, and 3-ish uh, series, the introduction and those, those uh, segments, those uh, episodes, excuse me, and, and get kind of a refresher, not so much on the information, but on how we think about Scripture and how we think about God and authorship and all those kinds of things, because I'm going to bring up a lot of those points as we kind of get into the, the gospel accounts and as we set this foundation today. So uh, we talked a, a couple months ago uh, about a man who came and took the world by storm and conquered all of the known world. And you remember his name was Alexander the Great, right? And Alexander the Great was actually not Greek, he was Macedonian, but he conquered in the name of Greece. And Alexander brought with him a euangelion in the Greek, or evangelion, where we get the word evangelical or evangelism. All those words come from this word evangelion or euangelion. And so we have to really kind of think about what that word is and, and what it means and how we, how we think about the gospel. Not just what the gospel is, but how we think about it. And so... This Alexander had this this euangelion, and a, a euangelion as its at its its core and at its base is a pronouncement. It's a pronouncement of a new king and a new kingdom. Now that's easy to say, right? That's that's really easy to say, and and everybody goes shakes their head and goes, yeah, I can get on board with that, uh, or yes, that excites me, or, or whatever. But but again, let's just stop and think about what we're what we're talking about. So a new king. 
a new king is a big deal because uh, with the changing of a king, there becomes a changing of the, the, the way the kingdom is run, uh, the culture of the kingdom, which you guys know I'm huge on culture. It's all, you know, it's, it's all about culture. Um, but it, it, there's a lot of changes that come with a new, a new king. Um, and so we, we don't really, we have a struggle maybe to kind of identify with that a little bit because we're a republic and we don't have kings. Uh, but with a new president, we have a, a changing of the, the, the culture and the environment in politics sometimes, and that filters down to the areas of our country. Uh, and so there's a pronouncement of a new king. The, the new king either comes by the, the death of the old king naturally or by defeat of the old king. And so uh, when we talk about Alexander, he is taking over in Greece and he is conquering other kingdoms. So if you, if you think about this, and again, I know this is really hard for us to identify because America, uh, unless you, you know, uh, immigrated here, um, as Americans, we've never been occupied, right? We've never, we've never had to deal with displacement or exile in, in the sense of a, a military campaign. You know, yes, we had these recent storms and a lot of people have been displaced. But as far as a, a, a person coming in and, and leveling a city, or burning a city, you know, and those kinds of things. We, we don't really know what that's like. We don't understand what it means to, to leave your home for the last time um, and, and never be able to come back possibly. And, and so our freedom uh, that we enjoy here in America really disconnects us from a lot of these, these ideas that we see historically in Scripture. So, so there's a pronouncement of a new king, and the new king is the dawning of a new day. The new king is a turning point in national history uh, that says that, you know, from this point on, this is going to be a new, uh, a new kingdom. So the second part of the pronouncement of the, the euangelion is a new kingdom. Now think about a new kingdom. You, we, we all have our way of life, right? We have a, a way of life. And in America, it's hard to, to standardize that because, you know, I mean, hey, down here uh, in South Louisiana, we have Cajun culture which is really, really different uh, than a lot of other places in the country. Up in the Northeast, right, there's a different culture there. New York itself, from what I've been told, uh, is, a, is a different, you know, parts of New York, even inside of, you know, in, in New York City, the boroughs and those surrounding areas. There's different cultures depending on kind of what neighborhood even you grow up in. Um, you know, Texas is kind of its own thing. Um, the, the Pacific Northwest, you, you guys have a, a different culture up there. So even within the United States, we have this way of life that, that, that we expect things to go a certain way. We have values, we have, uh, you know, our laws and we have all these kinds of things. So think about a new kingdom. And I think this is a little, this is maybe easier to, to relate to than we, than we think about, um, without getting super hyper political, um, we're about at the recording of this video. We're about or this episode rather. We're about two weeks away from presidential election, and the election that m most pundits and experts and whatever um, say is probably the most important election in American history. And and we we can fight, and we can argue, and we can debate over a man that will be elected president. A man or woman, you know, which what we like about this one and don't like and wish this one would do and wish that and what he has done or she hasn't done or all those kind of things. We can debate over a man and we can we can argue. And some people are fiercely 
deeply divided over the presidential election, even within family units. And you may experience some of that. But let's think about what we're really uh, fighting for. Are we really fighting over a personality? Are we really fighting over, uh, you know, uh, the, the way somebody says something or doesn't say something? Are we really fighting about a person's past or, you know, or any of that kind of stuff? In my estimation, what we're really fighting for is the culture that we believe America should be. So if you're on the, the left, you are, you know, fighting for a, a more, uh, you know, progressive type of culture where, where you know, things are, are changing and America is progressing in the ways that, you know, you think may it should progress. Uh, if you're on the right, uh, then you hold to a more traditional view of what America should be, and, and there's some things that just absolutely shouldn't change. And so we, we're fighting over a man and over an office, but what we're really, really fighting over and what we're really uh, you know, divided over is the culture that that man or that person is going to allow or is going to bring into our country uh, and the change that is going to happen uh, or whether there is a change at all. And so when we talk about euangelion and we talk about the gospel, we talk about new king and new kingdom, it may be actually a little more relatable than, than what we think. And so this idea of Alexander the Great coming in with a, as a new king with a new kingdom, uh, he brings a different worldview, which is just the, the way you see the world, right? Uh, he brings the, the Greek worldview in, uh, encapsulated in this beautiful little package called Hellenism. And we talked about Hellenism, we spent a lot of time uh, on that, but it's a different way of looking at life and a different way of thinking about life altogether. And so, as an Israelite, you are now faced with this this thing, this 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 idea, these ideas, and these ways of of thinking about life and and uh, progressivism or, or you know liberalism in in some areas of life that you never would have even considered before. And so, this euangelion is a lot bigger than just oh, what's the gospel. You know, it's, it's the gospel, which for most of us, I would, I would venture to guess, I've spent a lot of time in church, I would guess that most of us think of the gospel um, in pretty narrow terms as far as well, what is the gospel? Well, the gospel is that, you know, Jesus, Yeshua came to save us from our sins and give us a way to heaven. Uh, you know, something like that. We repent and are baptized, you know, we pray the sinner's prayer, uh, then we'll be saved. That, that's the, maybe the, the narrow kind of definition of the gospel that we're, that we're working from. And I, I, want to, I want to expand that for you. I want to help, help you expand a little bit. So if you have a new king and a new kingdom, and that's the pronouncement of the gospel, and this idea of the gospel, really the, the Greeks kind of brought to the forefront with Alexander the Great. If that's your idea of the gospel, is a new king and a new kingdom, then, and this is not to take away from Yeshua, from repentance, from baptism, from salvation. It's not to take away from any of that, so don't get nervous on me. But the the idea of a new king and a new kingdom is is much bigger than praying a prayer, walking an aisle, you know, getting dunked, it's much bigger than that. It's much more expansive than that. It's it's an all-consuming. The the salvation through Yeshua as our Messiah is 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 actually the entry point into the gospel. It's where our citizenship changes 
from the, the, the citizenship of the, the life that we did live and our allegiances in that old life. And we are converted. We are, we immigrate into the kingdom of Hashem, which has its own king. It has its own one who makes the rules and the standards and the laws and, and creates the culture. And it, it has its own culture, as a matter of fact. And so as we approach Yeshua Messiah, yes, he saves us. Yes, he redeems us. Yes, he restores us. Yes, he forgives us. Yes, he wipes our sins clean. Absolutely. All those things are true. But so many people, that's where they stop. That's where the gospel stops for them. And I'm not saying that's a small thing. That is enough. Just that in itself is enough to, to see Yeshua as worthy and of, of our allegiance for the rest of our lives. And so please don't hear me um, and, and think that I'm trying to take away from the work of Yeshua. If anything, I'm trying to expand and, and help you think about an expansion of the work of Yeshua. And, and some of the teachers you may know, Ryan White, Dina, uh, Dai, uh, Rico, some of those, those guys have done a lot of work on this. Uh, uh, people you may read like N.T. Wright, uh, those guys have done a, a ton of work on this idea of kingdom, uh, kingdom gospel. Now, if you come from a more reformed or Calvinist uh, type of background, this is going to, this is going to maybe push on you a little bit, maybe kind of, eh, maybe kind of dig you a little bit. Uh, because there, there is a Yeshua kind of centered theology uh, of of gospel where it's it's all about Yeshua. It's about his death, burial, and resurrection. That's what the gospel is. Period. End of story. Um, and that is that is enough. And yet there's this rise of a, a new kind of thinking about a kingdom centered gospel, and that tends to be where I fall. Um, again, not taking away from the death, burial, and resurrection of Yeshua as Messiah but as seeing that as the inauguration of a new king. And we're going to talk about that as we talk about uh, Matthew and Mark. For sure today, we'll see how far we get. But you're going to see that in the gospel of, of Mark. It's really, really fascinating. So as we talk about the, the word and the idea of gospel, let's move on to the actual writings that we have. So the, the four letters that we have, or the four books that we have that begin our New Testament scriptures are generally called the gospel are the Gospels? I think probably the Gospels with an S is a little in, is a little errant. Uh, it is the Gospel. There's one Gospel. Uh, that Gospel uh, is presented by four different authors as we have it in our text, right? And so I think it's probably more accurate to to talk about it in terms of the Gospel according to the Gospel according to Matthew, the Gospel according to because they are all making proclamations. Matthew is making a proclamation of this new king and this new kingdom. Mark is making a proclamation, and they are proclaiming it as a certain type of person, and we're going to talk about that, and they are proclaiming it to certain types of people, and those things are really important. If you remember back in, in Bereshit, when we talked about Genesis and we talked about authority, the authority of Scripture, where does the authority of Scripture come from? Well, of course, it comes from, from Hashem. It comes from God. It comes from the Father. And yet we know, we've talked about this, that the Bible was not dropped out of the sky as an already written book. It did not fall from the sky as this perfect, you know, perfectly put together and, and, and you know, complete package of what we have as the Bible. The story of the, how we got the scriptures is a fascinating, beautiful love story. And we talked in Genesis about 
the about Hashem's providence and his his sovereignty in choosing authors to write his message. He chose men and women and he chose people who he gave the authority to to write these scriptures. And so if that's a foreign concept to you or something that you don't you know you haven't really thought about, I would encourage you to, to do some some studying, do some thinking on it. Um, but the the authority actually lies in the author. The authority comes from God, but God places his authority in the author, in the way that that author communicates the message of God. And so you have in the prophets, you have in the Nevi'im, you have Isaiah and Jeremiah, uh, you have Hosea, and, and you have these, these prophets that are, that are saying basically the same thing in, in, in a lot of ways, but in much different ways they're communicating because we all come to God with life experiences. And, and God may tell me and you the same thing, but we may communicate that in two different ways based on our experiences and our understanding. And so it's no different with the Gospels. And so I want us to keep that in mind as we talk about the Gospels, as we intro the Gospels, and as we start to look at who these writers are and who they're writing to as they proclaim a new king and a new kingdom. We'll be right back after the break. guys welcome back to the second segment in this episode of image bearers radio so um kind of following on what we left off last segment this idea of authority is really really important and it's one that we again we talked about in the beginning in our bearer sheet as we started ibr and it's one that we really have to get our heads around we really have to understand that hashem entrusted moshe uh to write the, the parts of scripture that he wrote, he entrusted Isaiah with his word. He entrusted, um, you know, the, the prophets. He entrusted Matthew with, a, 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 with his gospel, with his words. And he gave over those to those authors the authority to communicate them in a way that they would be received by their audiences. And so I, I just think that's really, really important. And it's foundational to understanding and really uh, getting the fullness that we're supposed to get out of the Gospels. And, and out of the Word of God all, all together, we'll see this again in the New Testament, uh, later on in the letters, and then in, in the book of Revelation especially. And so we, we see this all the way through Scripture, from the beginning, from Genesis to maps, like we used to say, right? Um, if, if, if you've ever had a word of knowledge or, or God has inspired you to, to give a, a message to someone else, you, this will make a lot of sense to you. This is how God works with us today. So it's not super foreign to us. We just tend to think about the Bible differently than we think about maybe how God works with us um, independently or, or, you know, interacts with us personally. And so, it, you know, like I said before, if, if God gives you a word uh, for a congregation, inspires you with something that you feel like the congregation should know, and gives me um, the same message, it, it may be the same message in essence, but it's going to come out two different ways. Um, let's say you, you, you are from one of those boroughs in New York. Um, then you have a whole different set of context in which to filter through what God is saying. I, growing up in South Louisiana in Cajun culture, I have a completely different context 
um, and, a, and a, a set of imagery to draw from and all these kinds of things um, to draw from in order to put words to the message that God has given. So I won't beat that, beat that dead horse uh, any longer, but I hope that makes sense and I hope that kind of helps to broaden your, your thinking about how we think about the gospel authors. So the, the one big word that I want to kind of focus on um, today is agenda. Agenda. Each gospel author has an agenda. And here's what's awesome about that, is that that's exactly how God wanted it. That's exactly how Hashem wanted it. He wanted, he picked these men and allowed these men and enabled them and inspired them to write the gospel account because of their agenda, because of where they came from, because of who they were, and because of the way that they would tell the message. And that is amazing. Gosh, that gives us so much length and depth and breadth to explore these gospels and to just mine them for all that, all the goodness, all the gospelly goodness that's inside of them. So there is an agenda, and we're going to see that kind of as we as we talk about these things. So let's start with the gospel according to Matthew. So first of all, who is Matthew? Well, if your first uh, if your first inclination is to say he's a tax collector, you would be right. Um, but let's re- let's remember also that Matthew is a Jew, right? Matthew is a he's he's a straight up Jew, okay? And Matthew is writing to Jews, okay? So that's really important. His agenda as as a Jew, as a tax collector, all plays into how he's going to tell the story, and he is writing to Jews. So what I want to do is I want to read the beginning of Matthew's gospel. And, uh, of course, that's Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to talk about some really interesting things in this, uh, in, God, in Matthew's gospel. So we're going to read the genealogy. And even beginning your gospel with a genealogy is a very Jewish thing. Do you remember Genesis, right? You remember the word we use, toldot, the generations, right? And, and that's the way that we transition from one section of the story to another section. If you remember that in our Genesis discussion. The way we transition between the first and second chapter, or right in the second chapter, uh, and then we, we transition from Adam to Noah, and we transition from Noah and on down, it'll say these are the generations, these are the toldot. And so it's very, it's very is Israelite, very Hebrew way of, of beginning your gospel if you are a Jew that's writing to Jews. Okay, so let's get into this. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, this is the genealogy of Jesus, of Yeshua the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now today I'm reading from the NIV. I usually read it from the Tree of Life, but uh, NIV is what I grabbed today. So it begins, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Now it's, it's, it's interesting now to start, why do we start with Abraham, right? Why not start with Adam? Uh, be, because Abraham is the father of the faith, right? He is the first... Israelite is the first Hebrew is the first one who crossed over. And so Matthew is establishing Yeshua's lineage from Abraham for a very particular reason. Uh, verse three, uh, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Aminadav, Aminadav, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Samon, Samon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahav or Rahav. Boaz, the father of Oved, whose mother was Ruth. Oved, father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abiah, the father of Asa. 
Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Yotam, Yotam, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Ammon, Ammon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Verse 12, after the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Avihud, Avihud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Akim, Akim, the father of Elihud, Elihud, the father of Eliezer, Eliezer, the father of Matan, Matan, the father of Yaakov, Yaakov, the father of Yosef, and the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Yeshua, who is called the Messiah. Thus, verse 17, there were 14 generations in all from Avraham to David, 14 from exile to the Babylon, uh, from David, excuse me, to the, to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. So, as you read this, and you probably have heard teachings on this before, uh, especially if you've listened to the Bema podcast, which I've encouraged everybody to do, bemadiscipleship.com. Um, you'll notice as soon as we get into the genealogy, there's some really interesting things that go on. So we get to verse 3, and we have Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now, what's really interesting about Matthew's genealogy is, if you will remember, we talked about Avraham's genealogy. Um, and, and the things surrounding Avraham, right? Remember, and we talked about, uh, Avraham and his brothers and, uh, one of his brothers dies. And then there's this mention of these three women, right? There's these three women mentioned. There is, uh, Sarah, uh, there is, forgive me, Sarah's sister that I can't remember the name right now. And then there's this woman mentioned named Iska. Uh, there's this one man named, and we're thinking, well, who is, Iska is never mentioned again. We hear of Sarah, we hear of her sister, we, we never mentioned Iska again. And in a, in a Hebrew genealogy, you don't put women. And that's not a, I mean, that's not any slant against women. It's just, that's the way the patriarchal line runs, the way the name is carried. And so you, you don't put women unless you're trying to make a point. And so anytime you're reading a genealogy, and there's a woman mentioned, there's a really specific and incredibly powerful and meaningful reason why that woman is mentioned. And so here in Matthew's gospel, if you'll count, we have five women that are mentioned in Matthew's gospel. We have five. So in verse uh, three, right, we have Tamar. And then in verse five, we have Ruth, right? And then in verse 6, we have Uriah, who is mentioned. And then, uh, let's see, that's one, two, three. Uh, maybe it's only four. I might have misspoken. Yeah. And then at the end of the genealogy, in verse 16, we have Mary. Okay? So we have Tamar. We have Rahab. We have Ruth. Oh, it is five. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Uriah's wife, uh, and Mary. We have these five women. Now, there is a lot that we sh we could do and probably should do on each one. I'm going to kind of leave that to you. You know most of their stories. But it would be really interesting to go back again and just refresh on who these women are. 
Uh, because what, what Matthew is going to try to do is he's going to kind of say like, yeah, the men are important because that's the way a genealogy is done. But he's going to do a very Jewish thing. He's going to do a, a very uh, a, a very Israelite thing. And he's going to add in these women to tell the reader that it's really not about the men. It's really the men are there kind of because that's the structure of a genealogy. But the, the, the point of Matthew starting with this genealogy is that it's really not about the men. That's why these women are in here, because he wants to, off the get-go, to a bunch of Jews that he's writing to, he wants to establish a certain agenda, right? That's that big word we're talking about this episode, agenda. And so what is Matthew's agenda? Well, let's look at these women just really briefly. We have the first mentioned, uh, of course, is Tamar. Well, what happened with Tamar? You remember what happened with Tamar? She was promised children. She was promised sons in marriage by Judah and never happened. And so she tricks Judah and ends up becoming pregnant. And she ends up actually playing the harlot, right? Remember? And actually catches Judah. And and Judah actually says, you are more righteous than I. That blows our modern Western Christianity just completely out of the water. It blows our our Christian minds uh, to think of how something so treacherous and 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 you know even even you know her playing a heart so dirty you know and all these kinds of things and yet Judah says that you are you're more righteous than I am and, and so Tamar is this story of abuse and 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 uh, you know being withheld what was rightfully hers. And, and all these kinds of things that the victimhood of Tamar is really, is really, I think, Matthew's point here. So if we go down a little bit more, we find Rahav, Rahab. Well, who is Rahab? Well, again, Rahab is another prostitute, right, that, is, uh, that saves the slaves. And, and so this, and this idea of she's not even an Israelite, right? She's not an Israelite. She's an outsider. And yet she finds herself in the company of the nation of Israel uh, through her loyalty to the spies and to the Hashem through that. But again, it's not a clean story. Uh, if we go down, we find Ruth. Who was Ruth? Ruth is a Moabitess, right? And if we know the laws of Torah, Moabites are not allowed into the, the camp for 10 generations. Uh, and so, again, Ruth is an outsider who finds loyalty or who finds citizenship in the kingdom of Israel because of her loyalty to Hashem through Boaz, the, the Redeemer. So, Again, there's an outsider coming in. Uh, if we go through Uriah, right? Uriah's wife, uh, Solomon's Solomon's mother, Uriah's wife. Well, she's an Israelite, right? Um, and yet, there she was done really wrong, right? There's again, it's kind of that harkening back to that Tamar Tamar story, where it's injustice. It's injustice by the hands of righteous men. It are injustice by the hands of maybe quote unquote righteous men, right? King David, the glory of the Israelite age. And he does this woman completely wrong. She's a victim. She's, she is shamed because of righteous men. This is really, really important. And it's really messy. And it should be really messy because that's, this is Matthew's agenda. All right. And then we go to Mary at the end, Miriam, who is the mother of Yeshua. And of course, we know Miriam's story, and we know that she's. This is a humongous scandal, that she is 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 pregnant with with the Messiah before her and Joseph, you know, likely come together in marriage. And, and so these pointers are really important. Why would Matthew? Why would Matthew 
go through this. And, and really, it's, it's got to be to, to the religious Jews of his day, it's got to kind of be an, an, an insult. Because if you're telling your story, if you're telling your family history, um, what, what are you looking for? If you go on Ancestry or 23andMe or whatever those places are, if you go in there and you look in your genealogy, what are you looking for? You're looking for, we're like, did our parent, did our family ancestors own much land or, you know, were they governors or were they, you know, what did they do? What was their standing? Uh, you know, and we think, oh, like, it would be awesome to be tied to a, you know, a president or, a, you know, someone really important in American history or, or, or whatever. And we, we look for those connections we, because we want to tell the best family story possible. And so to the religious leaders of Matthew's day, Imagine how this is kind of like spitting in your eye, right? Because he's bringing up all the stuff like, oh, yeah, you think, like, don't be fooled. Our story is a messy story. And in some ways, it should give us comfort today because a lot of our stories, yours and mine, they're messy stories. And so we find ourselves right at home with this this kind of crazy, messy family called Israel. And so let's think about, again, who Matthew is. Matthew is a Jew speaking to Jews, but Matthew is a tax collector, right? And we know just from the history and and surrounding this, that Matthew being a tax collector working for Rome, how do you think he's perceived in the community? How how do you think he's talked about when he goes into synagogue? Can you hear the hush whispers? Can you see the the priests and the, the, the Levites and the scribes walking through the, the city and passing Matthew's tax collector booth and kind of looking down on him and, and giving him that look of disapproval. Matthew is an, is an insider, right? He's in covenant. He's an Israelite. He's a Jew. But he really finds himself on the outside. And so Matthew has maybe even lived his entire life on the outside. We don't know much of Matthew's background, but it is very possible for sure during his adult life, he finds himself kind of in some ways outside of the community because he's a traitor to Israel working for the Romans. And so he has to manage this, this weird, uh, you know, in between relationship. And there's a word in Hebrew called a mumzer, uh, M A M Z E R mumzer, mamzer, a couple different ways to pronounce it. But this idea of the mamzer is, or the mumzer is, this, this it really, technically, it's the bastard child, and it, it's, it's the thing about not really having a tie to the community through your father, through, through, through scandal and through shame and all this stuff. You, you're always kind of an outsider. Oh well, that's the mumzer. That's the outsider. And so Matthew, I think, really embodies that agenda because he himself. Maybe, maybe not through birth or maybe not through his, his family relations, but he holds that kind of shame of the mumser because he's an outsider. And so when, when Matthew pins his gospel, his, his, his agenda is to say that, hey, there's a new king and a new kingdom. And all of you religious, you quote unquote righteous people, in a lot of ways, you're just like David who took advantage and just and just like you in just like uh, Judah taking advantage of Tamar you're 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 just like those people in in and maybe they they had wonderful great times and a great testimony and yet in their darkest times they were vile and vicious and and victimizing and oppressing and and Matthew is 
is pointing this genealogy directly to the religious leaders and saying, that's you guys. That's you. I may work for Rome, but I'm an Israelite. And Matthew, by all accounts, may have been a good Jew. He may have been a, a, an observant Jew that went to synagogue and, and just found himself working this job because Matthew also may have been a Herodian and he may have been, you know, fully in bed with Greece. We don't know. Greece and Rome. At either way, Matthew's agenda seems very likely to be that this thing that you guys that you call yourself so righteous, you guys that, that, that wear your robes and you prance around here like you're something special, Yeshua is going to actually, the gospel according to, to Matthew is actually going to say, you guys are really, if you're not out, you're very much on the edge of being out. And those that have been sidelined and marginalized and oppressed and victimized and those outsiders that you religious leaders won't let into the community of Israel because of your standards, like a Ruth, like a Rahab, you they are the ones that actually are going to be in, and they're actually going to take your place. And so Matthew's oh, his gospel is so dynamic, and we're going to see as we go through the gospel of Matthew, we're going to see him, you're always going to see Yeshua painted in these, in these situations and, and, and put in these contexts where he is, he, is, he is reaching out to the mumsers of his day. He's reaching out to the outsiders. He's reaching out to the unclean, to the sick, to, the, the, to those that are, that are desperately needing connection and needing community. And he's always calling those in. And, in, and simultaneously, he's always rebuking the religious leaders. He's always contrasting those that are out and those that are in. And this, this is Matthew's agenda. And I think it's one that we really need to focus on. I think, it's, I think that's why we're going to use Matthew's gospel because we really need to, to sit and to, to, to kind of marinate in Matthew's message. Because we have to be very careful. I would even say especially in the Torah community. We have to be very careful, even with our Christian brothers and sisters, that and our Jewish brothers and sisters on, on kind of both ends of, of the spectrum, we need to make sure that we are not being so righteous because now we eat clean and now we keep a certain calendar and now we do a this and now we do a that, that to look at our Christian brothers and say, you're out because you're not doing these kinds of things. When we do that, I would argue that we're actually being the people that Yeshua rebuked. Oh, you're, you don't do things the way we do it. You need to check your relationship with God. You need to go home and read your Bible. You need to do this and you need to do that. There is a place for correction and for helping and leading and encouraging people and challenging even those that are willing to be challenged. And yet we cannot use Torah or our observance of Torah, whatever that looks like for you. We cannot use that as a religious bat, as a religious staff or weapon we become, we're going to tie this back again to Genesis, we become the, the Sadducees and the ruling religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees even to a point. We become those people. But even more than that, that's not even the bad part. It's not bad that we become Sadducees and Pharisees. It's that we become Pharaoh. We become the empire. And the, the, the message that we have of Torah and the gospel of Messiah and, and of Hashem himself is, is healing and life and restoration to creation and to people. And when we use that message, when we use the word of Hashem as a, as a, as a, 
instead of a, a, a instead of leading with the word as a shepherd does and, and, and leading by our speech as we learn in the lessons in the desert, instead of doing that, when we use it as the stick to beat people into submission, we're becoming the very thing that sent Israel into exile. On the other side of the aisle, on the other side of the spectrum from where we're standing, we have to be very careful not to look at our Jewish brothers and sisters and say, oh, well, you don't have Messiah. You poor, pitiful Jews, you, you idiots, you missed him the first time and your whole religion is a sham. And all, some of the vile and, and anti-Semitic and just wicked things that are said against the Jewish people actually, they just, they make my head want to explode. We have to be so very careful that, that we, how we approach our older brother, Judah. We have to be very careful how we approach the Jewish people. And not be so arrogant as to think, oh, well, now we're in. You guys are out. And that, and that we, have, we have to do better. We have to do better about, about that part of it. So we have a really unique position, those of us that are, 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 are Gentiles that, that have come into Torah, that have found our way into the commonwealth of Israel through Yeshua and have been called and made a part uh, and grafted into the root. We have to make sure that we are very, very careful how we look both ways. And I think Matthew's gospel is a, a powerful and evident reminder of the message that we all need to hear. We need to, yes, we need to, to, to be careful how we look at sinners. Uh, I say sinners, I even hate that terminology. We have to be careful those that, are, that have, have not made God their God and are not allegiant to the king. We have to make sure that we treat them uh, with, with honor and respect and that we, again, we, our goal is to restore them and to bring them into salvation and into, into forgiveness. But we also need to look right here in our own house, in our own faith communities, and we need to be careful that we are not treating the mumser, the, the, the bastards of those out there around us, people that are struggling maybe even just to live each and every day. We have to be careful how we treat them. And so Matthew's gospel is, I think, as, as evident and, and as necessary for us today than maybe it has been for any generation since. So next week we will get into Mark. I'm going to show you some really awesome things in Mark. Until then, have a great week. Shalom, shalom, shavuotov. 